0: No one ever asked me that. Wow, you're getting me emotional here, man. That was the moment that I said, be a man. It's on you now. You know, you grew up your whole life. Your parents might send you some money here and there. You might be able to call them, for. but this was the time I was like, yo, it's time to man up. No matter what happens, if you end up on the streets because you're trying to be an entrepreneur, you better own up to it. And at that moment is when I made the decision and that's what spearheaded my transition to traveling and figuring out really how to create an income or a diverse lifestyle for myself.
1: where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Illumide Benro. He is a location-independent serial entrepreneur originally from Lagos, Nigeria and currently based in Bali, Indonesia. After getting two master's degrees in the United States, he began organizing high-level networking events around the world from Los Angeles to Tokyo, attracting a clientele ranging from international business leaders to professional athletes from the NBA and NFL. Today, he specializes in helping entrepreneurs, influencers, and startups build and monetize their brands through earned media appearances, public relations, and social media growth. Illumide has been a full time digital nomad now for over three years, has an Instagram following of over 17,000 people, and speaks five languages Yoruba, Spanish, Portuguese, Bahasa Indonesian and English in which we'll be conducting this interview today. He is also building a social enterprise called Globo Water that builds water wells in remote areas across various African countries, including his homeland of Nigeria. His most recent project is founding the Digital Nomad Summit in Bali, which will launch in June 2020 and feature world-class speakers and training and is expected to attract over 500 nomads. Illumide, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Matt, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on, man. I've been looking at your stuff. I'm freaking Jack. Let's go.
1: Let's do it, man. I'm so excited (laughs) to have you here, brother. We connected at one of the events that you hosted here in Bali. Just to sort of set the scene, we are doing this live in person. It's actually my last day in Bali, Indonesia. been here for about a month and have had a total blast, met a lot of amazing people, including yourself. But I know you've been here a lot longer than I have. I think you told me eight months now you've been in Bali. And I would love to hear you've lived in a lot of different places around the world, but I would love to just open this up and hear why are you in Bali? What is Bali like? What does it mean to you? And why are you choosing to be here now?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bali, as you've experienced, is amazing. Um, it, It really attracts some of the coolest people in the world, like people who are down to earth that you can like you and I did is just off a few seconds, uh, uh, you know, connected instantly. Like we've known each other for years and uh, that's what you get here. You get people who have sort of have an open mind. You know, they've left the matrix, uh, as people say, and and they're building their dreams from this beautiful tropical island. And it's like every day you wake up and and there's a a rice field for you to drive by. And it's almost too idyllic sometimes. I'm like, is this even real? I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Is this even real? But uh, it's really an amazing place to network with people whose minds have been freed and people who are truly building the dreams uh, without all the stresses that we usually find in Western society, right?
1: Yeah, man. You and I connected immediately. I, I rolled up to this event that you were involved with, uh, Entrepreneur Get Together event. And you and I connected and we started yep. following each other on Instagram, like, I don't know, within five minutes of that conversation. And I saw your Instagram. I was like, yeah. whoa, you had a Nigerian flag on your profile. I was like, oh man, I was
0: like, you from you from
1: Nigeria, man? I just yeah. spent a month in Nigeria. You're like, what? Yeah, I was like,
0: what? <laughs> this guy, like, it was incredible to see how many places you've been and just the incredible, diverse sort of like experiences that you've had. And I was like, this is a friend of mine. This You almost remind me, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, or how I grew up, or reminded me of my friends from all parts of the world that we just sort of like kick rocks together. Like, hey, what's up? Like, where are you from? From Kenya. You're from US. You're from Zimbabwe. And everybody was friends because we could just relate, right? So that's what I think (laughs) instantly bonded us. No
1: doubt, man. Yeah, I had such an amazing time. I spent three months in West Africa this year, did one of those months in Lagos and just received so much love from the people there, you know, especially from the, United States, you know, there's such a, I think, negative perception about, and, and warning and dissuading people from going there, right? Yeah. Like if you look on the
0: State Department website. Yeah, it's, it's like seven <laughs> warnings every day, new ones, stuff you <laughs> even like, you're like, don't go, okay. Yeah, And people get dissuaded. I'm glad that you you ex- got, got to experience going and you didn't listen to all those warnings. I mean, anyway, look, if you go to the South Side of Chicago, it's probably more dangerous than some parts of Nigeria, some parts of Africa. So I think- It's great you're bringing that up. People should definitely sort of uh, embrace uh, the unknown and try things that they would never, you know, typically try.
1: Yeah. So I've received so much love in Nigeria, man. Still have just a lot of incredibly fond memories from my time there and just how Mm. welcoming people were and everything else. So really amazing. I've been telling people about it all year, but I would love to hear your story in terms of growing up. And I know that was kind of the early part of your life there. Yeah. And then you certainly moved around a bit, but we'd love to hear your your story and certainly yeah. starting back in Lagos, man.
0: Yeah, that's the roots. I never forget. I always joke, like a lot of my friends, Nigerian kids that I grew up with, they always sort of like envied me because it's like, you're born in Nigeria. You speak the language. I have an accent. My parents always make fun of me. I have an accent, but really like having a root, having being born on this land has literally impacted my life like crazy because there's just this connection and the way that I feel was from the beginning I always thought whatever I do I have to go back I have to give back but to give you the full story I was born in Nigeria obviously in Lagos I lived there till I was about seven, probably six and a half or seven. And my parents were actually missionaries and they're pastors. So a lot of people don't know this. Yeah. So they they basically were traveling based on where God said or where the church said to go. So basically we ended up going to England at age six or age seven. And this was the biggest culture shock of my life, you know, like arriving in a new country new i mean not new language but new sort of the way that people talk. you know they had an english accent and everything and i had to learn an english accent and sort of and that's part of the journey too that I'll, I'll be open about is just discovering who i am is that i ended up sort of learning to adjust by copying or trying to fit in my entire life my entire life was always about trying to fit in and i got to england at age seven so i got an english accent real quick and made a lot of friends you know i had a real nice accent and then seven to age 13 was all England, right? I was an arsenal fan. You know, all the Nigerians, they love Arsenal. Arsenal, Arsenal did all that, really lived out a life of like just a normal kid. But then I turned 13 and my father told me it's time. God said, go to America. So I was like, here we go again. And uh, I was whisked off away again with the family, uh, my sister, my brother, and my mother, and my father jumped on the plane. I remember the most painful air pops ever. That's my most excruciating <laughs> uh, you know, childhood uh, uh, memory. Riding on a plane to this foreign place called America, which by the way, my biggest fear w- in America was guns too. And it just fits the, the MO. I was just like, oh my God. Uh, uh, I have to do my English accent. Oh my God, are they going to have guns when we arrive? And I was like, I was so afraid of America. And when I arrived, it was, you know, we ended up in the east side of Columbus, Ohio. It was was rough man and i was this black kid with a british accent and the kids just didn't know what to do with me they were like yo yo england yo england they used to call me england yo england what's good man hey hey they got black folk in england i was like uh yeah, yes they do and and then you know It was just a big it was the biggest challenge Of my life again in a new city because I was now this new outcast Where I was trying to just belong I was trying To fit in it was always uh, a theme In my life even to my early adulthood Of trying to fit in until Like the location independence started And, and I started to meet people like yourself where it's Like we all had different stories you've experienced So many things being in different countries Being minorities being black white whatever But living in different countries And having to learn the culture. How to fit in. But anyway, going back to uh, America. So we're in America right now. So I got my accent. I got to stay with this accent. Then we'll speak it in the English accent. So I'm in America, and then from age 13 to 18 was high school, obviously. So I spent most of my time in Ohio. I went to school in Ohio, ended up going to undergraduate university at Ohio University, shout out to my Bobcats. I did ex- uh, enjoy my experience in undergraduate uh, Ohio University, it's a party school. Yes, mom and dad, if you listen, I did party. You know, I just I just gotta admit that right now, I'm not gonna lie. But really, in my growth as a person, uh, my biggest growth came probably at the tail end of my college years. And uh, the thing is, is I did everything I was supposed to in my story, like I go to high school, go to college. A Nigerian kid, what you know this, what are your three options when you're a Nigerian kid growing up? You have to be doctor, lawyer, engineer. And I told my parents, "Listen, I had to, I had to like negotiate." So I ended up doing a degree in uh, exercise science. I had to take organic chemistry, all this stuff that would be like, "Okay, you're still a Nigerian kid. Good, well done, son." So I ended up doing that, and then going to San Diego, California. That's how I ended up in California for my master's degree in public health, and I did a specialization in uh, health promotion, behavioral science, really community work, which. Actually, funny enough, that re- kind of tells me why I'm so much into community building now as well. Really, really helped. So it wasn't a waste necessarily, <laughs> college. And uh, also epidemiology, study of infectious disease. I did HIV research and NIH-funded HIV research for a summer in Uganda. First time going to another African nation. That's a side story. So, my man, I did everything. Like I, If you look at my resume, you saw my languages, the the degrees, the the, the contacts, bro. I'm a legend on my resume, but Growing up, I didn't feel like it. I felt that all those things were accomplishments that I did to please my parents, to please God or the church. And I never did anything to please myself. So when I graduated my master's degrees um, at San Diego State, I said, you know what, what do I want to do with my life? Do I really want to go and work for, I could have been a PhD professor, got my Honda, and my nice mortgage. But I said, I don't want to live a lifestyle of working for somebody else and being sort of stuck in this area of definition, being defined by other people. That's when I started to travel.
1: Yeah, I would love to hear a little bit about that sort of transitionary moment and maybe just kind of going a little bit deeper in terms of like what that was actually like for you at that moment, if you go back to it. Because I feel like there's a lot of people that are on a particular path, either because their parents want them to be, or society tells them to be, or because maybe they think they should be, or it's the safe way, or it's the socially acceptable way. And then when you make that break and you make that pivot and you deviate from that, you say, you know what? I'm actually going to make a concerted decision to change course. What for you actually got you to the point at that moment that that prompted that, and what was it like to go through that transitionary moment?
0: Yeah, you know what, Matt? I'll tell you a story about uh, when I called my parents one day. Um, I think it was around seven p.m. in the evening in San Diego. It was a little bit warm that evening, and I really had a talk with them. And I said, hey. I'm actually not applying for these jobs I said I was applying for and I'm an entrepreneur. And to be honest, it was also naive as well. It's like, Hey, I'm doing these things. I'm throwing these events. I'm trying to create an income for myself. But I remember distinctively one night when I called my parents and I said, yeah, I'm just going to be real with you all. I'm not applying for these jobs. These are the things that I'm doing right now. And if you don't want to support it, that's okay. And it was a very difficult call to have It was a very challenging call, especially with my mother, to say, you know, all these dreams and wishes and things that you want out of my life are not going to come true. You know, and it was one of the toughest moments of my life where, to be honest, I was gutted. When I quit and basically didn't go into my Ph.D., I had no other real options. All all my contacts instantly gone because I didn't want to do the Ph.D. program. And, you know, standing there, I was just thinking to myself, You know, what next? You're making a little bit of money. You're barely surviving. It was a very challenging time. And I thought to myself, you can go all in now or you can quit and just beg your parents to send you money. Or you can just be a damn man and just go right now and figure this out on your own. And that was I would say no one ever asked me that. Wow, you're getting me emotional here, man. That was the moment that I said, be a man. It's on you now. You know, you grow up your whole life. Your parents might send you some money here and there. You might be able to call them. But this was the time I was like, yo, it's time to man up. No matter what happens, if you end up on the streets because you're trying to be an entrepreneur, you better own up to it. And at that moment is when I made the decision. And that's what spearheaded my transition to traveling and figuring out uh, really how to create an income or diverse lifestyle for myself.
1: And what was your next move and your trajectory from that point? Yes.
0: Ha, this is where it gets fun, man. So, you know, in undergrad, there's, I say college is great for making friends. And that's the where like, I think the contact and the network is really, is the benefit. Because what I did was I was like, okay, I want to travel the world. And I think some entrepreneur or some uh, digital nomads, whatever, are sort of like enamored with the idea of traveling. And like, they think it's so easy. You just jump on the road. Everything's going to be okay. I was naive. I, I called some friends in Germany and I was like, I'm on the way. One way ticket. The nice thing about the American passport is that you don't have to necessarily have a round trip ticket or you can just arrive in Germany and be like, I'll be here three months. So that's what I literally did. I actually timed out of Germany. I'm not going to lie. The first time. So I took a one way ticket. I think I landed in uh, Hamburg, Germany and this was a time where I literally, you know what I did, Matt? I was just sleeping on my homies' couches. I was doing social media consulting, uh, looking at people's Instagrams, helping them optimize it, helping them get more followers through uh, optimizing their brand because I started learning about branding. I started to grow a following for my brand because I actually at the time I was doing more dancing and a lot of more creative things. And uh, I just consulted for like $250 just for like a one hour consulting call. And that's what I was doing, sleeping on couches across Germany. I was barely making it. Sometimes I get three calls a week, For another month, I wouldn't get any calls. So there was no structure into how to predictably get clients and scale a business. But that's how I ended up in Germany first. And literally for three months, just couch surfing, baby. But they didn't even know I was coming. I just showed up. Hey! I'm here. <laughs> you know, so that's how it began. It was a little disastrous. But, you know,
1: so you had your 90 days in the Schengen region, which yes. you spent in Germany. Exactly. And then when the 90 days was up, then what was you your know, move?
0: My man, I went back to San Diego because I didn't know what else to do. I uh, it was like that first attempt where you sort of like when you first try to dunk or where you first try to like jump over a high jump bar. and You're just like, oh, nope just going to have to keep practicing. I had to go back and really reassess myself, reassess my life. And that's when I learned a little bit more about marketing. All of this stuff, by the way, also to mention Germany was, uh, and we'll talk about the investing in yourself and the, the, the things that I learned along the way, is if I hadn't gone to Germany and actually during the time worked with specific different companies uh help them with their marketing help them with the community building i wouldn't have been building skills along the way either so it wasn't a waste so what happened was as i learned those skills with marketing about community building while i was in germany while i was flying to these different cities consulting with these companies for free by the way which is another thing is is, is how to how to grow working for people for free if it's worth it if they have the intense knowledge and can give you that experience i flew back to san diego and that's where i was like i was gutted it was like no money Yo, back on my other friend's couch in San Diego, and, and I'm not afraid to share these things. These are the realities, man. And I want to be the sort of person that's always transparent. It was very, very challenging. Drop back in San Diego. Imagine how I felt thinking, oh, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to do amazing things. People are going to love this. and. I'm wearing my hoodie and I can't, I didn't have a jacket at the time in Germany. I'm wearing a dang hoodie and freezing my balls off in Germany. And then I'm like, let me go back to San Diego. It's hot over there. So I land there and and I end up uh, after a few weeks, really like learning a little bit, like how to structure my marketing agency. And that's when I first started to get my first few clients here and there, had a little bit more stability, uh, got my own place, a small place. And uh, after San Diego is when I was like, let's go again let's go again okay what are we gonna do this time we're gonna go to Mexico hey Mexico's a little cheaper so I started to figure out the the hacks I said let me go let me go let's not go to Europe this time it's a little too expensive right now let's let's go to Mexico real quick so I end up going to my buddy Bo Johnson who by the way shout out to Bo Johnson if you're listening to my brother all the love he's a major superstar he's from Chicago he's on one of the top dating shows in Mexico six foot four dark chocolate guy amazing humor and, and comedy and I had to give him a quick shout out but I stayed on his couch when I first arrived in Mexico because I was like let me figure this out like he's going to be my tour guide There's a lot of amazing fun nights with him man and that's when I was like okay I'm sorting out my feet I'm like a baby finally starting to walk my feet are finally working a little bit I'm stumbling a little bit The money ain't coming in every single month but it's kind of coming now and finally figuring out how to keep clients and sort of, sort of start retaining people and that's how I ended up Mexico I was there like shoot like Four or five months so I was there A little bit more stability And after that is when I was like Okay like where else could you go and that's when I thought of Bali. I was like, I'd been watching people on YouTube. And you probably know Jabul O'Goro. I still haven't gotten a chance to meet him. He's definitely one of the the giants in our field that's been like you on the road doing this thing for so long. It's ridiculous. I didn't know this existed, you know, till upwards of a year and a half ago, two years ago, you know. I was just doing it as well. And then you're like, well, there's a word for it, Digital Nomads. And uh, I see Jabril O'Goro uh, with his company, uh, his v- uh, video series Passport Heavy. And he's just also this young black guy. And I'm like, oh, that guy reminds me of me. And he's Nigerian too. So I was like, ah, Niger boy. So I'm like, yo, is that my cousin? And I was like, I got to get on the road too, to Bali. And that's the kind of the images that you and all these giants in the field that I really believe are such mavericks, (laughs) mavericks in the field, really, man, led the way for people like myself to come through and say, wow, let's make uh, more connections, more impact and try to build these communities.
1: Awesome, man. Let's talk a little bit about that business side of that journey that sure. you just described. And as you were learning and improving and gaining ground in terms of your the clients that you were attracting, the clients that you were retaining, the income stabilization that you were generating. And then I know a, a big piece of that to you also for you during that time was networking.
0: Oh, absolutely. And
1: starting to actually even put on networking events and start hosting things and building community and bringing people together. So you had that as well. Can you talk a little bit about the role of the networking and also how you actually kind of behind the scenes, what were some of those leverage points that allowed you to more effectively build your income?
0: Absolutely. Being able to build a network is a huge factor where for me, it was all about giving value up front, figuring out what people needed. So when you talk about those luxury events that you, in the intro that you described to me, um, I met a gentleman called Rod Watson. He actually reached out to me. He's a luxury real estate agent in San Diego, celebrity real estate agent. He reached out to me because he had seen I was hosting these high-end networking events. That was right before I left for Mexico and, and uh, started doing all the uh, other things I was doing in Mexico. But basically the way that it happened was he reached out to me and I figured out that his value point was this group of people, wealthy people, that he wanted to access. And my value point was that I needed homes and and really high-end venues to utilize to host these people because they were paying, most of them were paying to be there. So the leverage point was figuring out what is valuable to someone and giving it to them up front. So I never charged him for anything up front. I told him, listen, like I'm going to bring these people to your $6 million home. I'm going to introduce you. And we're going to have a nice event where everybody gets to know who are the ones that are actually organizing this. And he was able to actually create a very <laughs> lucrative business and scale his business based on the networking that occurred. But when it comes to actually networking, for me, it's always been about providing value up front. Listen, man, I've, I've closed deals on Instagram, DMs on videos. You know, you know, I won't mention names, but there's people where I've reached out by being consistently Uh, communicating, commenting on their pages. And we're talking about the online version now, commenting on their pages, sending them emails, giving them updates, trying to introduce them to people because I think it's structurally good for them for their business. And then later on, when there's the ask, asking them, for example, a gentleman that I got to come out to Japan, Tokyo, Japan, to be a speaker at one of the uh, conferences that I helped start up in Japan, which that's another story, but basically uh, being able to provide value up front and then secondly, figuring out what that actual pain point or need is and then attacking that in a good way and trying to like sort of uh, solve that for people. I love that
1: advice. Can you talk a little bit about any similarities or differences between offline networking versus online networking, the importance of both and then, you know, any advice that you have?
0: Absolutely. So let's go with online first. Online really like is about glitz and glamour. People are looking at you like, who does this person know? But there's an element of connecting as a human being that a lot of people miss. So what I do is whenever I send someone, it could be a celebrity, it could be someone who's verified. If I'm trying to get a new client. Again, I send a video direct message to connect with people so they see my face. I build trust based on sort of the face and based on people knowing if this person is legit or not, this person has the best interest for me whenever they see me. So I think online, it's more about presenting yourself, uh, again, leading with value, but being able to see someone's face, being able to communicate, maybe sending a voice message. And again, communicating that value upfront and letting someone know that you care about them. You're not just like, yo, man, I see you're an investor. I need 20K for this home flip. It's like, No, actually, I see you live in uh, New Jersey and like one of your passions is the dog charity. Do you need someone to help you? I'm making this up. Do you need someone to help you this Sunday to help you as a volunteer? Figuring out what that person needs doesn't necessarily relate to the actual uh, issue at hand. It could be that they love... Uh, donated to breast cancer and that you, you can help them find sponsors for their event two months from now. And then you can ask them later or you haven't build enough rapport for them to say, okay, I'll help you with this investing gig or I'll teach you. I'll give you an hour of my time. Let's meet over uh, for coffee. When it comes to in person, I think the major difference of in person is actually results. I think when you meet someone, you try to provide that values. For example, with Rod, if I hadn't come through with organizing and bringing that right uh, echelon or right group of people to him, it would never have built a real relationship. So building a real relationship in person is based on those exact things. It's like actually get coming through. You can say a lot of things, but as a person, you got to come through on your word.
1: And let's talk a little bit also about brand building and personal brand building, as well as business brand building. I know you consult on both of those things with companies and startups, as well as individual influencers that are trying to build their brands online. And we'd love for you to talk about some of the, you know, the principles that are most effective for doing that.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to you know, me, me, myself, I think initially I built my brand on dance and, and creating fun videos and things like that. And I think whoever is looking to build their brand, they have to really look at who are you? What are the things that are valuable to you as a person that you want to share with the world? So every time I think about building a brand, either as a person or as a community, you have to have those things that you all identify with, either as me being someone who uh, helps people build personal brands, a global traveler, whatever digital nomad, I have to know who I am first and then project that in specifically in the content that I create. So when it comes to building a brand that's something that's powerful, the content has to resonate with whoever it is that you know you are. If you're uh, uh, an attorney or, or a dentist, You should be creating content around your daily life in the dental office or consulting with clients, creating a vlog about your daily life, not about lunch or pizza or things that you do in your day in your regular life. Do things specifically related to who you are, who your value points are. And I think that's really that's huge is that people don't ever pick a niche and people don't ever pick. They never show who they truly are on social media. If you just showed who you were. You might find people that actually like you. Stop trying to copy Gary V. He's an amazing entrepreneur, but do things that you're passionate about. It actually doesn't even have to be entrepreneurship. It could just be sewing. I like, I like sewing, I like, I don't know. It could be anything that you're really passionate about, literally create content and there are people, there are freaks like that, like you out there (laughs) that will resonate with your content. And when I started doing that is actually when I saw more growth, like with my Instagram growth, it was actually more posting, dancing, and I would even, it might be a dance video, but I still talk about entrepreneurship in the actual content. So that's one of the tips I'll say, whatever you're passionate, whatever you're good at, whatever's stimulating, whatever is valuable to the community that's still entertaining, that people will watch, Show them that, be authentic, you'll find your your tribe, but then utilize that space and that attention, as Gary V says again, I keep referencing him, is use that attention to now uh, gravitate towards the things that you're passionate about and the things that you actually want to get out in the world.
1: And what are the differences between building a, a personal brand that you're describing there versus if a business, a startup, a company wants to think about building a brand? What do they need to pay attention to yeah. prioritize there?
0: I think they need to pay attention to, and and most of the companies I've worked with, is pay attention to the space or the, the best platform or the best spot that your people like to communicate, hang out, and chat. I work with a company in Germany, I won't mention their name, but basically the best place that to put the community, especially when it comes to crypto and blockchain, was Telegram. So now the communities, it started out with a few hundred people. Now I believe the community is over 28,000 people all on Telegram. And it's like, Wherever people are most comfortable, that's where they'll be able to resonate with your product. So that's one big tip I'd say is like go to where people are and they're used to. Don't try to create a Facebook community. Don't try to meet in person. If people love to be on Twitter and they're crazy about Twitter, you better find out the topics they're talking about. You better find the content, always lead with content that they enjoy and that they resonate with and put them and attract them to that area, whatever it is that they live on.
1: And for startups that are at the early stage of this, what tips do you have for building a brand identity? If somebody's mm. at the very early stage, what's the Man. what's the process there? You got
0: to you better get a brand story video. So this is one of the things I help uh, some of my clients build. It's a brand story video that literally tells people what your values are as a company and also connects you as I always say as human beings just like I said with the networking online offline is Connecting with the CEO, the community, and seeing real faces—people know when you're fibbing. People know when you're not for real. So, whenever you create this brand story video, it could be a vlog about the office, about people who are you're working, or the people on the team that are working for the company. Um, It could be an interview with community members, but make sure that you're sharing with people real faces and you're creating a story that is legit and it's totally transparent about your company, what the values are, and the things that you actually uh, wanna share with the community that that are value driven.
1: I love it, man. And then are there any tactics that you recommend once people have sort of their brand identity Mm -hmm. sorted out and niched down, whether they're trying to be an individual influencer or a company, what then are the tactics for growing an audience and increasing engagement Mm. and all of that? What's that process?
0: I'm gonna tell you, it's it's content and network. Man, it's funny how you know you get at this, man. I'm glad, I'm, I'm happy to be on here. I let, man, shout out to Matt on here, man, the Maverick himself, the Maverick <laughs> man. Woo! <laughs> so, content and network, and let me show you how every effing algorithm works. I told you I wasn't gonna curse on here. Every algorithm is based on community and people engaging with your content that are similar, niche, or you appeal to them. So. I think you like, you love basketball, right? You like, you're, you're a b-ball guy. My man, you're For, me. Sure. For I, sure. I don't like when guys are talking <laughs> to me, actually, but I'll <laughs> let you slide this once, my brother. Um, so I always get basketball content on Instagram and I comment on every freaking LeBron James post. I can't even help it anymore. They've addicted us to Instagram. That's a different story. But whenever you create first leading with content, make sure it's something engaging that asks people a question that actually entertains, but also ask people a question, make them think, make them say, make them want to comment on something that's pressing, whether it's a current issue or something that is important to solve a problem in their lives. Make sure it's engaging to where they will say, oh, my God, I have to comment on this. Now, I'm not saying clickbait everything, but clickbait everything in a, the most respectful manner to make people make an action. Now, tailor that content to your exact audience. So, Community-wise, in order to grow, this is where the growth comes from. This is what I'll tell you. This is how every algorithm works. Whatever they tell you about the algorithm, algorithm, it's all based on community and a specific type of person viewing a content that they highly resonate with. And the more that these people comment on this content, the more Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever... We show it to people that just like them. You guys have to realize that these algorithms are so smart. Like I'm telling you, if you go on your, I can tell what you like just by your explore page. I'll tell you, he likes fishing and he likes basketball. Boom. I don't know if you like fishing. I just made that up. But if you go and look and you see that there's specific things that are also performing well, this is another tip. Look at what content is performing well for your niche. Then just copy it. There's nothing wrong with that. Look at how you can apply your company's values and the things that you're doing in your business, whatever in your scope of your company. Create content that is just like theirs, but put your own spin on it and then put it in front of your community. And better yet, if you can get, I mean, it's sort of like sort of art- artificial inflating, but let's be real. Let me tell you the dig dark, dark secrets of Instagram. Everybody's in a comment group. Everybody's in on it. You have to actually start the fire so that it actually like spreads. So you have to get a group of people. Again, another tip, if you don't know this already, get a group of people, 10 to 15, 20 people, create a group outside of Instagram. And whenever you drop your basketball hoop remix, make sure that all 20 people within the first 5, 10, 20, 15 minutes, at least within the first hour, go comment, like, and share that post with somebody else. You'll be surprised how much more it'll it'll grow.
1: And let's talk also about monetization strategy. So when... People implement what you're describing and they start to grow the audience because they're being authentic, because they're doing all the things that you just described. And now all of a sudden, they have a reasonable audience that's paying attention to them. They've captured that attention, which is the value, which is the asset, as you said. Now, what are the most effective ways for them to monetize that audience, that attention? What are the steps? How should they be thinking about optimizing that?
0: Mm, That depends. It depends on whether you're doing a, a physical product or you're selling uh, a virtual product. If it's a physical product, ask your community. So a lot of times I actually, funny in San Diego is where the Olympic Training Center is. A few of my clients are world-class Olympic athletes. Shout out to Brittany Reese, miss you, Brittany. Brittany Reese is one of the top long jumpers ever in women's long jump. She's She's got the indoor world record. She, we're creating a hoodie, merch brand for her. And one of the first drops is a hoodie. How do we know that we're gonna do a hoodie? because we polled her fans and she has a, a, a nice following on Instagram. I was like, Brittany, just post this. Ask people what they want, whether they want training gear, they want stretching bands, they want freaking batons, they want hoodies, or they want like uh, fashionable, like uh, just like uh, streetwear. They wanted b- hoodies. They wanted uh, comfortable hoodies to wear and they said it very loudly. So we went and produced hoodies for Brittany Reese, Olympic athlete. So ask your people, when you've grown an audience, now you got 20,000 followers, 80,000, whatever. Run a poll on Instagram, swipe up or tell them to go to click a link in your bio and tell them, hey, this is our community. Listen, if you built the right community, like I, we just described to you how they'll all do the poll. People, a few of the people will do the poll. You have enough of a sample size to know exactly what they want. That's for the physical product. When it comes to a virtual product, mm, I have different techniques, but I think one of the things you can do is you can actually collect data on A video or some sort of piece of content that you give to people to see if it's something that resonates. So if you drop specific videos, again, like we were talking about earlier, like, hey, make sure it's something that's engaging. You'll know what people want. If you drop uh, a content on, let's just pretend you're you're a business coach, you drop content on mindset one day and it does okay. You drop content on the best books to read. and people go crazy on it, like, oh my God, that's my favorite book, blah, blah, blah. Maybe you should drop an ebook for your community. Look at the data. Look at where your data is pointing. Run some tests. Don't be afraid to not have something go on wildfire. Run some tests, look at your data, and also just ask your community. It's, it sounds so dumb, but it's the most simple and most brilliant way to do things. Ask people what they want.
1: That's awesome. I want to transition now and talk to you a little bit about travel. And you sort of talked a little bit about your initial, some of your initial experiences are kind of coming up, but let me just ask you this, at this point in your travel journey, your nomad journey, just to start with a macro question. Why do you travel? What do you get out of it? What does travel mean to you?
0: Mm, that's a deep question, man. Yeah, you know, everyone's going to say freedom, but it's it's true. It's, that is what, for me, that's just what I've always been used to. It's just now I have a choice. When I was a kid, I didn't have a choice on traveling. And it was a tough challenge of going to new cultures as such a young kid. But those same experiences shaped me into who I am today. So being able to experience a new culture by choice and to learn a new language, hopefully, meet people, diverse people from around the world, Listen, man, like this, this human journey is interesting because everyone thinks we're all different. We're all from different countries and races. But at the end of the day, we're literally human beings. We have the same needs, the same wants. And as you travel, as you know yourself, being in so many countries, baby, when you meet your bestie, when you meet your homie and you meet someone you resonate with, you just give them a hug. It just means so much. That's what's the most beautiful part about traveling is that human experience of love and friendship that you can exchange with people in the most remote parts of the world with just a smile. And those are the smaller moments that people don't, until you experience it, you don't realize. And it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. It's the friendships and the experiences that you have while traveling, man. Because listen, that's another thing It's so unpredictable. Anything can happen in any moment. It's exciting. It's it's new. And it's uh, also a chance to, to connect with people all over the world and, and uh, enjoy these adventures, you know?
1: What have been some of your sort of travel highlights of your experiences? You mentioned you went to Tokyo for a while. I know you threw some events there. And I know you've, you know, spent time in, in in a number of different continents. But for you, what are some of the kind of the standout or maybe like seminal pivotal moments, things that maybe, you know, impacted you or that you really remember, you know, to this day when you think back on your journey?
0: Yeah. You know, let me say something about when I went to Germany, when I went to Hamburg and I, I was with, stayed with a friend. Taryn, I always drop names. I don't care, like I'm dropping all names. I'm showing love to everybody. Taryn wait, my brother. And uh, we just like sat around and, and went to a local square, literally just, we. I think we were just like sipping on some juice and just sitting there. I felt like I was like a German citizen or like a Hamburg guy. I was just sitting there like, wow, look at all these people. We're just sitting there enjoying the sun because it's summer in Germany at the time. The sun is shining, everybody's just glowing. Yeah, literally just being able to feel, again, being growing up, not fitting in, then going to a foreign country and you don't feel like you, you feel like you fit in so much. You feel like people, people love you for who you are. And, and there's no judgment and there's no sort of these things that you've experienced in your past. Like just sitting there is the most profound thing that I experienced. And just sitting there in Hamburg on a summer day with my friend, Taryn, and I just believe that that's so possible for everybody. And that's the human experience and the human side of us really shined.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. I, I agree with that as well. And I think that's one of the things that's so important too about traveling and especially also, when I want to get your opinion on this, but I'll just say this first, with this whole digital nomad sort of movement and culture, and especially when you start getting big congregations of expats and stuff like that, I feel like there can be a disconnect from the local community mm-hmm. and the and the immersion tell, the integration in the, the, the local map. community yes. right and so for me i connect with exactly what you just said yes. right like when you yes. go to a place
0: yes. you
1: know like i went to macedonia earlier this year big yes. shout out to my man yes. ilche who by the way hey, uh been what drink- my 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 boy for 25 years and wow. one of the dopest hip hop DJs in the Midwest man oh, just gonna really? throw it out just it's gonna dope. throw it out my man um, <laughs> but Macedonian from Macedonia <laughs> and I was there with his family you know based in outside Chicago now but was in yeah. you know invited me to come and took me. Into the extended family, Direct. local, you know, spots. So you know, I'm the one that, the only one that doesn't speak Macedonian. They're translating mm-hmm. for me. We're sitting under the grape leaves, uh, you know, uh, in the grape vineyards, and just, you know, talking about the old days in Macedonia. <laughs> and I'm there, right? <laughs> like just getting like, to experience it. And it was just so, so, so dope. But it's the yeah. same thing, man. It's like, I mean, one of the other reasons that I loved going to Lagos, man, is because there's just there's no nomads there. There's yeah. no there's no expat tourist type <laughs> people that are just setting up there so it's like it's all a local experience every single bit of every single day all of the you know clubs and all the stuff we would go to it's all 100% locals right so you're just connecting and it's immediate immersion it's not like oh I have to make a proactive effort to escape the expat (laughs) community there's not one there right or at least not that I was aware of so I think that's really, really important, but I would love to actually get your take. I mean, especially being here in a place like Bali, which is a massive nomad hub now. Yes. Um, You know, and I've spent time in Chiang Mai and other places Mm -hmm. where there's a lot of those expat congregation areas, but even traveling around the world, you know, like I participate in a lot of these work travel programs, which curate remote working professionals and you travel the world together, which is great because you have a community. But if all you do is roll around with that international community. And if you're not immersing yourself in the local area, it's a very different type of travel experience. So I would love to get your your take on that and just, you know, the importance of connecting with locals and how you sort of, you know, balance that between the expat community that you're obviously involved with yes. versus the local connections.
0: Yeah. You know what? We're about to get real. It doesn't happen enough, man. You know, when I travel in the different communities I've been part of, it, it just seems that you have the expats, they're doing their thing. They got a little bit more money than everybody else. And then it's like the locals and like, yeah, maybe you got that one friend that works at the bar or that works at the damn restaurant, but people don't really make an effort. I've specifically, being here in Bali, made an effort to make local friends. Like all the people that I work with, the people, the guy that helps do my videos is local, Actually, this coming weekend, we're taking um, a few of our friends that work at one of the restaurants to uh, uh, like a beach bar. And just to go back to what I'm saying is the way that I've uh, moved is just made my best effort to try to connect with the locals, even with the local uh, partners. And the event you came to was was partnered with a a company called Tribe Theory. And they have local general manager is a local, is an Indonesian man. And... I look to people like yourself who literally want to connect with people who are from the place that they are inhabiting, whether it's for a week or a month. And I think it's increasingly becoming important, especially in places like Bali. I don't know about Chiang Mai. I haven't been there to where so many of these location independent people digital nomads are moving in and we're not looking at the local effects that we're making on, you know, trash, having all this plastic waste material, you know, even commerce. Like if you build a building here, I mean, you, you real estate guy, you have to move something out of the way to build a darn building. Like moving to all these rice fields, local culture, temples, I think it seems like it's happening slow right now, Matt, but I think if we're not careful and we don't respect sort of the way that we do things, it's also dangerous that we'll pretty much quell or sort of suffocate some of the culture, the beautiful culture that exists here. 100%. Every day I see a, a rice field in Bali being like turned over into a restaurant, you know, by a foreign owner. And hey... I'm just being real here. I don't want to throw any hate to anybody. I'm just also sharing with you guys the reality of this movement where if you're location independent, there's some things that come along with it that don't necessarily smile well upon the local community. And I think we have a responsibility, again, just to do our best to merge better, to connect, treat people like human beings, which we do, but really try to connect as human beings and try to create friendships, but also to watch whatever we're doing to the local economy.
1: Yeah. I think that's really, really, really important, especially as the movement grows and more people are trying to live in other people's countries for extended periods or even just to visit and then how you're visiting and how you're engaging and all that Mm. kind of stuff. So super, super important. Let me ask you this about values and social sustainability and sort of giving back in general and just kind of use this as a jumping off point. I know that that's been a big priority for you in terms of your life and your businesses and all the stuff that you do. And I wanted to ask you to speak a little bit about your social enterprise Globo Water that you are building now and a little bit about what that is and why you're doing that.
0: Yeah, and just to be totally transparent that that's entirely self-funded. This is something where, as I said in the beginning of this session, giving back to Nigeria, giving back to people in my birth country has been something that's been on my heart since I, it's just like a burden, man, since I've been like a kid. it just felt it, you know, it didn't, my parents didn't have to say anything. It's not, had nothing, I just felt like, this is where you're from. This is who you truly are. And uh, Global Water is a fruit-infused energy water that basically for every cell we make, we're given a portion of the proceeds to building uh, wells across different villages in different parts of Africa, specifically starting with Nigeria. And I'll be honest too, where I came up with a story. You probably know There's uh, Jaden Smith has something called Just Water um, and they're doing really amazing things in Michigan to help with clean water, environmental con- uh, conservatism. But when I saw something like that, I was like, Why can't I do it? I don't have to be a millionaire kid or son of Will Smith. I said, this is something that I can sort of use as a business model, and as a social cause to basically go and create a product that I can then use to, although it's something that is bought by people in the West, it directly contributes back into uh, villages where, by the way, when I was doing uh, volunteer work and went back to Nigeria a few years ago, I still saw kids in the village with water on their heads, still carrying water for miles. And I was like, I thought this was on TV. Like, You know, you live in in the West, you live in England or you live in America and you just realize that there's people still where I'm from. And that could have been me, you know, and I think back to my childhood where, you know what, things could have been different for you. So when you have this opportunity, I didn't become some crazy investor yet. You're going to teach me all I need to know, Matt. Um, But I still have an opportunity because of the Internet to do a crowdfund campaign, which by the way, we did raise a little bit of money, again, self funding a lot of it, and utilize the internet and. You know, current systems in place to be able to literally create a product in six to nine months, launch it. Hopefully, we'll launch uh, the first quarter of next year. Once everything's done, we're literally formulating a brand new. People don't know about food science. We're literally creating food science to make a new water flavor, fruit-infused water flavor. And then when that's done, we'll connect with the manufacturers, and then we'll run another campaign. We'll raise enough, hopefully, raise enough money to be able to launch this and make this a reality. But it's something that I'm truly, truly invested. If anyone's been interested in working in in the social cause area or want to partner with me, if you feel a good, uh, you have a good feeling about trying to work on something like this and make an impact, contact me, let me know because this is, I'm not giving up on this because we didn't, the campaign didn't raise as much money as I wanted it to, but bro, I didn't give up. Just like the same journey we started, we talked about earlier, yo, I could have been sleeping on couches and saying, oh, this is what's going to be. No, man, we're going to keep going until this gets done.
1: I love it, man. I love it. I think I think that's so important for people to ground themselves and have that bigger picture. Why, in terms of what they're doing, you know, like when we founded Maverick Investor Group. I mean, you know, my background is coming out of the nonprofit advocacy space, right? Like my entire academic and professional career is doing progressive nonprofit, you know, advocacy work and international human rights work and civil liberties advocacy and stuff like that. And so when I went the business route. I was like, man, I better ground this in, in some serious values. And so, unfortunately, my, my business partner, Valerie, did, has the same master's degree as I did. We met in grad school. She worked in the nonprofit space too. And so nice. we basically designed the company in such a way that we would donate 10% off of the top before we take uh, anything out of the company at all the causes that are important to us. And that way, as wow. the company does better, so to do the causes that yes. we care about. So you're motivated, not just for personal financial gain, yes. but you're motivated for all of the auxiliary beneficiaries wow. that benefit from that's your amazing, company doing man. better, you know? So like, I think that's, I think that's really, really, really important to have that kind of, you know, that, that grounding there because it motivates mm.
0: you too. It does. It's, it's a deep yearn to create something of impact. And, uh, it just sort of, leads into other parts of business and and personal life to make yourself just get up every morning, just get running, just get moving. No
1: doubt, man. Let's talk a little bit about the Digital Nomad Summit uh, that you founded that is coming up in Bali in 2020. So not to be confused with Nomad Summit, which is run by my man Johnny FD in uh, Chiang Mai. And now they do another one outside of Chiang Mai. They did one down in Mexico recently this year. But the DNS, Digital Nomad Summit, is your event coming up this summer in Bali. Talk a little bit about what brought that yeah. about, why you founded it, and what can people expect if they attend.
0: Yeah, so as you know, you've heard my story of where I started out. I wanted to create a summit for location independent entrepreneurs that really brings together world class speakers and leaders that have been through it all. We've got people that were like me sleeping on couches to now six, seven, eight figure businesses. Like you told me about personally, some of your friends doing eight figure businesses, traveling the world. Like, People need to start realizing that this is reality. This is possible. And what I wanted to do for the Digital Nomad Summit is to bring together people who have had real life experiences, had challenges and struggles and are doing extremely successful things. Plus, they're leaders. They've got their own community. They've got thousands of people that have been following their journey like yourself for years. And uh, this is the point where I feel like there's a little bit of a gap in bringing together world-class speakers. And now specifically to Bali, because I believe it's, and everyone knows the spiritual capital of digital nomads. So for for us, we wanted to create DNS for uh, bringing together specifically the biggest leaders. And if you go to our website, thedigitalnomadsummit.com, you'll see some of the leaders, just a hint of some of the people you'll see next year. And I wanted to give both newbies, people who just jump in on the road, you know, the strategy and the specific actionable knowledge to actually succeed for people who've done it, but also people who are already doing it like ourselves, creating the network. We always come back to the network and the community and this very powerful network of people who are really, really doing big things, but also are human. Like us, we like fell in love at first sight, man. It's like, I want to be able to help other people have this connection. And if you come to the summit next year, it will change your life. You'll be able to connect with some of the top nomads, digital nomads who are doing incredible things, but have also, as you all know, designed their life to basically create something that everybody wants. But like, how do you do it? And secondly, we're going to have some dope-ass parties, man. We're going to really have a lot of social time, a lot of community. This week, I'm visiting a, f- a few venues. And the class and the quality of the summit, we did not go cheap. This is something where I wanted to rival the effects of all of the top conferences around the world. I want people to never forget having one experience at DNS. And that's what we've built. We're going to be at the uh, NUSA Dua Convention Center, world-class convention center, where Obama has had uh, international meetings, all the top things that happened. In Bali, happened at the convention center. We're bringing together the top people at the top venue at the top place in the world. It's going to be bananas. I can't wait to see you all there.
1: Awesome. We are going to put a link to that in the show notes along with all the other stuff that we have talked about on this episode. So you can find all that in one place. Uh, you just go to themaverickshow.com and just click on the show notes for this episode, and we're going to have all of that in one place. And If they jump on this, uh, they can also get some kind of discount, right?
0: Yeah. Use the code MAVERICK. And from December 1st to uh, January 1st, you'll be able to actually get this uh, $200 discount. I just created that code for you live right here, Matt. Like We just really just created the code MAVERICK. This guy across from me right here just got you a discount. So you should thank him. Make sure you share his podcast. And yes, MAVERICK is the code that we're going to use and you're going to save some money. I love that. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> All right, Illumide. I want to be super respectful of your time, man, and move us into the final part of the interview. Are you ready for the lightning round?
0: Man, I was born ready. You already know. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> the lightning
1: round. All right. What is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years that you'd most recommend people check out?
0: I think everybody should read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, especially if you grew up poor. (laughs) Like if you don't get your relationship right with money, your life's not going to go well for for an extended period of time. So when I read that book, I was like, oh, that's why I have a problem with money at the time. I don't understand how it works. So you have to understand the value of money, how to invest it. The fact is that you shouldn't hold on to money. You should really like distribute it. You're a real estate investor, distribute it in something that produces more money. People who try to save money usually don't save money.
1: All right. If you could have dinner with any person that's currently alive today who you've never met could be author, celebrity, public figure, anyone, just you and that person alone for a three hour or so dinner conversation, who would you choose and why?
0: So I think Will Smith is a brilliant guy. Like Will Smith, he's funny. He's, he's an amazing actor, but people don't realize how much of an entrepreneur this guy is. He's a, he's a savage entrepreneur. He owns like a production studio. He does real estate. Uh, he buying apps, all this stuff behind the scenes that people don't see that I Google, huh? Use Google people. Like I love when people are, not one-sided. Now, you should focus on your strengths, but once you've mastered something, you've been successful with something, being able to delve into entrepreneurship and different diverse subjects that are your interests, because I know we all just don't love one thing. He inspires me because he's done it in so many different fields and has influence in so many different areas. Uh, and just the influence of this guy, I would love to sit in a room and just chat with him just to hang out, you know?
1: No doubt. No doubt. All right. Knowing everything that you know today, if you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Umaday?
0: <laughs> you know, i I think patience is such a huge factor for all of us where, especially in business or as an entrepreneur, like I think being patient and going through your marks and like sort of learning along the way and being patient for success is something where, cause I've had, I've had good things happen in my life. You know, I've had a couple of successful companies, um, you know, I sold one company from my uh, college days for equity to a large, to actually a very famous, uh, uh, company. And that just, it, p- being patient to learn from those experiences is something that I'm such an impatient person, just to be real, where I want to be rich as crap right now. Like, I want to do 100 Gs a month right now, but I realized that to get to somewhere of success and impact, it's going to take time. And my 18-year-old self, who was trying like seven startups every two weeks and not necessarily seeing success, I would say continue to be patient because, you know, a lot of times it was like, it was really frustrating. It was really challenging, but being patient to see success, I think is something that all of us should have.
1: I love it, man. Totally agree. All right. what? are your top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been that you would most recommend other people check out
0: uh well Bali's one come to Bali we'll be waiting for you so no you have to check out Bali because it's such a strong attractor of people that are you'll be like wait so you're like you're Nigerian too or like you, you, your parents took you to another country too I'm like I thought that was just me I've met people like that third world kids I thought I was the only you always think that like you're the only third world kid no you're not there's a lot of other kids that are third world kids you just find people that relate to you
1: man I went to the I've been going to these hip hop nights at Lost City oh every, yeah every Thursday man I've been meeting cats from Uganda no way cats from Kenya yeah like all over the world so you're man. attracting your people you're trying world, man, you wow. know? And then I, of course, have been to Uganda. And yes. I've been to Kenya. So then we're all connected. Wow. And then we're meeting up every week and going back out and we're building a crew. And it's like all that kind of stuff, man. So there are definitely people from all over the world here, for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. So Bali, let's see. Where else have I been that I recommend? Like I said, that memory and the, the experience in Hamburg, Germany. And I thought Germany was all stiff and cold. And like you go to Hamburg in the summer Yo like it's popping like people their vibes are right they got a little swag to their step I'm like are oh, we in we in Europe like there's some swag on that city for sure it's a very hip town millennial driven um very very cool place they have uh, the 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 little area where they have uh, the 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 water and you can go have food by the, by the sea. And it's just it's just a beautiful town in Germany that I would never have thought existed until I got there because I was just like, hey, brother, I'm coming. Um, Hamburg, you got to check out if you go to, uh, to Germany or to Europe. And you know what? I went to Copenhagen, Denmark, and it's just sort of this big, small city. It's very quaint, quiet, safe. And uh, I had a very good experiences with the people there very gentle kind people that i got to spend time with friends again that i met in college that uh went out and went to restaurants and just walked around the city and sometimes you go out it's like 10 30 and it's quiet as can be and you just there's this sort of serenity and peace to it um in a place that you wouldn't typically expect again being in scandinavia you, you just wouldn't it's just a different vibe in terms of how calm and cool the city is. And I really enjoyed Copenhagen, Denmark.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. I have actually not been to Copenhagen yet. Oh, you gotta it's, check it out. it's very high on my list. Yeah. I've heard amazing things out. from everyone. <laughs> All right. What are your top bucket list destinations that you've mm. never been to that are the highest on your list right now you'd yeah. most like to see?
0: Yeah, I, I always wanted to go to Morocco. I don't know why. It's like I just watched it on YouTube and it's like Morocco and it just seems so – it just seems very different. I'm from West Africa. I'm from Nigeria. North Africa is different. I saw it on TV. I don't know. It looks very – have you been there?
1: Yeah, man. I've been to Morocco two or three times. Wow. Uh, I was in a Marrakesh for a month last year. Wow. Actually the country in Africa I've spent the most time in overall is Egypt.
0: I knew you were gonna say Egypt, because that was I was gonna say Egypt when I wrote like my thoughts yeah, down. Yeah. So I was like, let me go with Morocco, but tell yeah. us about Egypt. No, real quick. I
1: mean I, I was I've been to Egypt multiple times. I was there. Yeah. The longest single stay that I had there was about nine months, wow. which was back in, 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 in Cairo. Man. In Cairo, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but I've also been to Morocco probably two or three times. I was there for a month last year in Marrakesh and uh, a lot of amazing, amazing things in uh, North Africa for sure. But yeah, yeah, entirely culturally different, of course.
0: Tall, uh, of like, course. I dude, mean, that's I mean, why I want to go. I'm like, course. yo, what's yeah. going on over here? <laughs> but
1: that's why it's also really important to see the different regions. Like, you yes. know, so so North Africa. Last year, I was in Nairobi in Kenya. I was based there for a month and went to visit a very good friend of mine in Uganda. Shout out to Brenda, who just, Brenda. Uh, I mean, just you know, we we, I mean, she's like. Come visit me in Kampala, and I'll show you around. Stay uh, with me, like so. She just hit when we hit all the clubs. She did the whole nightlife <laughs> scene. Kampala is absolutely yo. yo lit. Shout
0: out to Ugandans in general. Yo, yeah. that's the warmest people I've ever met. I know they will saying. marry you, cook for you, do everything on first talk. Amazing, amazing people. But yeah,
1: U- Ugandans are amazing. So I did Kampala, then did Tanzania. Went to oh, Th- went, wow. was in Dar es Salaam, and then went out to Zanzibar and all that. And then that actually, to be very honest with you. That trip is what inspired me to want to go to Nigeria, and really? the, the reason is I'm gonna tell you the reason. Tell you me. ready? I'm ready. Is because I want. So I really wanted to see the you know the nightlife in Kampala, and yep. so Brenda and I just like rocked out to all of the right clubs and stuff, and mm-hmm. I was just blown away. All of the music there, unbelievable Afrobeat, baby, unbelievable Afrobeats. Yep. All brand new to me. I'm yep. literally on the dance floor sh- hitting the Shazam app <laughs> on my phone again and again and Disney again Boy, and again. And so I'm building this playlist on Spotify yes. of just yes. all the stuff because the DJs are throwing down of ridiculous beats. Back beads, to back, baby. Ridiculous all night long. And there's me building You're these playlists with Shazam, that. okay? So then my step two is yep. then I'm, I go back and I was like, okay, let me look up these artists. Where are they from? Where they from?
0: It's gonna be Wiz Wizkid. It's gonna be Burner, Burner Boy, Boy. All it's yeah. gonna be like Malik Barry. Like yeah, yeah it's yeah. gonna be all Nigerians. <laughs> Fifty
1: percent plus yep. are all from Nigeria. Yep. I'm like man. I gotta Yeah, we running it. I was like, I got to <laughs> go to Nigeria. Hey, you know. And so then I was like, I got to go to Nigeria. So then I'm like, okay. Like, who do I know that would definitely, A, want to go to Nigeria and B, would be the right type of person to roll to Nigeria with to to do Nigeria the way I want to do it, right? So then I start reaching out, you know, to some some friends of mine that I knew would be down with that. uh, And we just put together a real dope squad and did, uh, I was actually in Cape Town um, in South Africa for two months this year and then went up to West Africa for three months. We did Nigeria, Ghana, Ivory Coast and Senegal.
0: Wow, which was just yeah, completely I, epic. Man. We needed to redo that, and and put, like, oh, you've already been on TV. You're about to be on TV. I was going to say record you because that would be an incredible experience to share as well on on film.
1: Well, we had. Did I tell you about the about the documentary? You should say situation? yeah. Situation. I told you that, about that, yes. right? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, just to give the listeners a little advance uh, yes, notice, preview. we had. So I had this uh, G- a German actually based mm-hmm. documentary oh, yeah, yeah. film team reaches out to me. Yeah. Right. And they're like, you know, we saw your keynote video from the Nomad Summit. Like, we mm. we found your podcast, like this and that. We know who you are. We're doing this documentary film on digital nomads and the digital nomad movement. We'd like to feature you in it. Mm-hmm. And so I reply, you know, it's a cold email. Mm-hmm. Just comes in. Like, uh, so I reply and I'm like, you know, my, and my initial reply is like, you know, uh, is this film fully funded? Yep. Who's directing it and what have they done <laughs> before, right? Yep. They reply and they're like, yeah, it's fully funded. We've already shot most of it. You would be the final shoot for the film. <laughs> and it's being directed uh, by Lena Lenhart, Who and here's her previous work, okay? Yeah. She literally just won Best Picture at this German Film Festival, like, I don't know, a month wow. ago or so. Like, yeah. big deal director, right? Uh, from Germany. So I'm like, um, okay. So then I write back, but then my second thing I write back is I'm like, okay. I said, to tell me a little bit about the scope and the framework for the film because one of the things that's really important to me is mm-hmm. that this is not gonna be a film that's gonna suggest that the digital nomad movement is sort of like this white dude thing. Yep. I said, how about this? I'm gonna be in West Africa and I'm gonna be traveling with my home girl, Agnes. Big shout to Agnes, yeah, who's, also been, who's also been a podcast guest. So listeners, nice. know, listeners know Agnes <laughs> Niamwange, who yeah. is born and raised from Kenya mm. and is a full-time itinerant digital nomad from Kenya. So I said, how about this? A, coming to West Africa, So we shoot West Africa in the film and then also feature Agnes. So you'll get a sub-Saharan African female nomad perspective in addition to mine. Wow! So they said, we'd love that. It's a hundred percent on par with exactly (laughs) what our values and vision for the film is. We've already interviewed a Palestinian like this. Like we'd love Mm. to have that done. When are you going to be there? Yeah. I tell them I'm still a little bit, I'm like, are they really good? I'm like, are they, are they really going to fly from Germany to West Africa to do this? (laughs) So then I'm like, okay. I was like, how about you come to Senegal? And we film it in Dakar and you come for these six days, you know, the last six days that I'm there. They're like, oh, uh, can you leave a day later? Because we actually need a full seven days to film you guys. Wow. A full seven days. I was like, you need a full seven? They're like, yeah, they're like, we're going to. So this was like, so I wasn't even sure like that, you know, Mm -hmm. they bring a four person film crew.
0: Yeah.
1: $100,000 worth of video gear and they come there and they mic up. Agnes and I, and follow us around 24-7 for seven days in Dakar. Wow. And just, I mean, it was just, it was amazing. I mean, it was really, it was an I mean, it was an intense experience, obviously, like yeah. having that situation, but like the fact that, you know, we were able to feature Dakar, like this unbelievable city with, yeah. uh, which is one of my favorite cities in the world now. Like Dakar yeah. is magical <laughs> yeah. for anybody that's not been. So yeah. totally amazing. But yeah, it was a blast, man. Like the West Africa trip was just so special on so many levels. Wow. It man. was amazing, man. I'm So that's amazing.
0: what drew, drew me to you when you told me that story with, with your friend Agnes and just getting her and then just the diversity and your your mind, bro, is incredible. And uh, I'm I'm so grateful to have met you. To be honest, man.
1: oh man, I, I appreciate it. But well, the other reason is I was like, also the other reason you want Agnes in your film is because she's brilliant, hilarious, more charismatic <laughs> than, <laughs> than I. She's just gonna crush. Yeah, she's gonna make your film yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. I was like, trust it's me. And sure yeah. enough, I mean, she's. I was you like, she's em. gonna outshine me. Believe me. And sure I'm enough, sure. she did. So. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So the film yeah. is gonna be called Romers. They're uh, they're in the editing phase now, and it's supposed to be in uh, hitting the festivals in uh, 2020. So
0: that's exciting. Man. So. Uh, so because, you're gonna be a superstar, huh? I don't know. I'm glad I, don't, I met you now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh man, I don't know, but it was uh, it was fun. It was a blast. But um, all right, man. Last question: Who are the top five African artists? that people okay. should check out. You already okay. alluded to a few yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll this is actually, This is actually a really important question. Yeah, yeah. Because when I came back from both my East Africa and my West Africa trip, and yeah. I started sharing this music with people, oh, people they were, were like, freaking out. They, they were going, like where is they this? were going wild. And yeah. the other thing that's starting to happen is that these artists are starting to collaborate with major artists oh, yeah. In- from- Uh, you know uh, either hip-hop artists or 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 reggae artists in jamaica or things like that you know Mm -hmm. i mean i even went to like when i was up in accra in ghana and this was actually crazy man because i was honestly i went to lagos first for a month so i built this like gigantic playlist like (laughs) 50 tracks like i knew all the nigerian stuff that was out yeah and like i went up to accra in ghana i was like oh i bet they're gonna probably be playing a lot of the nigerian stuff i roll into the club man for the first hour i didn't know a single song no they played all Ghanaian. Ghana. Ghanaian music. Yeah. Including Ghanaian reggae artists that, you know, and this this and stuff. And then I start looking these guys up in these Ghanaian, like, like, there's,
0: there's, there's, that culture is rich, man. Like that's what I, it's just amazing. Thank God for the internet. It's amazing. There's so many things to discover. It's amazing. I'll tell you who I'm listening to right now. Tell us the top five. I'll tell you who top five I'm listening to right now. Do it, man. So Tenny. If you guys don't know Tenny, she's like an amazing like l- lyrical artist that writes like about love, but like she's she's like she's a thug, like she she will beat you up. Like Tenny's like a real gangster. She's an amazing artist. How do you spell it? T E N I. Okay. So let me just bless them real quick, cause like I'll just say the names. You go Google it and just Spotify it. Okay. Okay. There's a there's a kid called Rema. He is, I think he's probably 18 or 19. He started when he was 15 or 16. He's like this little cute baby face. Like, Rema is really, really good. R-E-M-A. And then you got to go with the classics. Malik Berry. Hey, jeez. Got to go with Malik Berry. You can't go wrong with Malik Berry, Burn-A-Boy, and who else? I'm literally flipping through my playlist right now, too, just to see, you know, who's who here. Oh, you know what? He's, uh, listen, he's Nigerian-American, but he's been doing a lot of Afrobeat lately. Jaleel! So there's a guy called Jaleel. He's in LA. He's Nigerian. We, we rate him. Uh, his name is complicated. It's this Jaleel, J E L E E L. So he has a lot. Obviously, he's an American. So he has a lot of hip hop influences. But Afrobeat style and sort of the music he's been exploring lately. He's a newer artist. But I always love to also shout out my people and support people. So check out, check out Jaleel as well. For That's sure. It.
1: I love that, man. And the Nigerian music scene, just for people that are not familiar, is just, I mean, it is unbelievable. It's the crazy. Music Every that's coming artist out. is good. I don't it's know what's going on. Every yeah.
0: artist is good, man. Because
1: what's going to happen is when people do it, create a Spotify playlist just with these artists that you said, it's going to start suggesting suggest more suggest and you just listen through that radio yes. feature or yes. you put it on Pandora or whatever, yep. and you will just hear like amazing artists. Man, it's unbelievable. Got a lot of talent. I love sure it, man. Am. Yeah.
0: Thank Illum- you for the love, man.
1: Oh, of course, man. Illuminate. Well, thank you for being on the show, man. It was absolutely a pleasure to have you here, my man.
0: Pleasure to be on, man. I'm really, really thankful and uh, excited to see you in the future and all the the amazing places you're going. So yeah.
1: As well, brother. We'll have to make sure that our paths cross soon. So thank you for being here and uh, good night, everybody.
0: Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com
1: forward slash packing.